Welcome to the Stockman Grass Farmer Podcast, where our mission is to help create a healthy planet and people through profitable grass-based livestock production. Grass farming is a 24-7 job and you can't always get away, so we've put together this podcast so that you can listen while you work or whatever you're doing, but always on your schedule, whenever and wherever you want. Be sure to check out the episode notes for links to freebies and special offers. Join our email family and stay up to date on our happenings and like us on social media. This is the third and final part of Jim Garish's discussion of what really determines profitability in grass farming. When we think about cows and calves and we think about where we, from where do we derive profit, where is the profit? Is it in the first 400 pounds or is it in the last 100 pounds? Is it in something in between? Here's what it comes down to. Almost any cow in almost any circumstance can give you a 400 pound calf unless there's human error. Every incremental increase in weaning weight that we get beyond that 400 pounds costs us money. And what that, and plus we have a price slide to where that 700 pounds animal is worth six, seven, eight, ten cents less per pound than this one. And that's worth, you know, the smaller the animal, the greater the value of the pound. So if it is costing us more money to incrementally produce these heavier calves and we're getting less money for each additional pound that we put on, uh, that is a tough, tough hill to climb. Every additional pound, in essence, is worth even less when we think about it in terms of gross margin. This is where the real profitability in the cow-calf business comes from, because you can get that yield with very, very little extra input other than carbon dioxide, sunshine, water, and minerals. This, this is getting a little outdated, but I still like it. So the Kansas State Farm Management Association is reputed to have some of the best data on the economics of cow-calf production in the country. And uh, individual cattle producers in Kansas submit their records and so the state compiles all these benchmarkings and you know expected budgets and stuff. So in 2013 when K-State put out their projections for the year and remember in 2013 in 2013 the cattle prices we had were record high prices the high in terms of nominal dollars they it was the highest price anyone in America had ever seen for cattle. 2014 got higher, of course, but I use this 2013 because even with those record high prices, based on the production cost figures that K-State had, every cow-calf producer in Kansas was going to lose $250 per cow with the highest prices we had ever seen. That is not a healthy business. There is something fundamentally wrong in a business if you know that's what the expectation is. So here's where some of those numbers come from. 
This is from 2005 to 2015 using the, that Kansas Farm Management Association. This is the cost, what they're seeing is a cost to carry a cow. And so the blue bars are feed costs and then we have red bars are non-feed costs. That's where your overheads come into play. And as I said, through the 1980s, 90s, and into the beginning of the 2000s, we could almost just year after year after year, it was the same. $350 to $400 you could carry a cow in operating costs. Now they're showing their feed costs, you know, from 284 and, oh, something else that's interesting here. Their feed costs and their non-feed costs are almost identical through this whole thing. And if we were actually saying that those red bars, those nine feed costs were all overheads and the blue is all of your operating costs, that in and of itself tells me this is a business destined to fail because if you have overheads equal to operating costs, unless it's on a low level, there's no way that you can have a positive gross margin coming out of this. I'm sorry, that you can have a positive profitability coming out of it. You'll, you can still show a, a positive gross margin. And so the yellow line is gross income. And we look at this cost of production and about 07, 08, 09, that's where we see it, you know, starting to creep up. That was the surge in feed costs because of the ethanol mandate, the plow out of another 10 million acres of grasslands on the Great Plains to grow corn for ethanol. And so the pasture rental costs went up, grain, feed, and a byproduct supplement costs went up. So we see it going there. We hit the Texas drought. There's more demand for any feed resources anywhere. Pasture lease rates in Kansas are going up because Texas ranchers are sending cows out of Texas to go somewhere else. And now Texas cows are competing with Kansas cows for that limited grassland. And the rental rates go up and they go up and they, we hit the peak cattle price in 2014 and then boom, income comes down. You know, it is, income will come down a whole lot faster than production costs will come down because we got into the habit of doing something. And plus we had money in our pocket. Money in our pocket. Um, tell you a little story. Now at this particular workshop, I do not sell my books because my publisher, Stockland Grass Farmer, is selling my books. But a whole lot of conferences that I go to, um, I sell the books myself and a lot of people pay me in cash. And so I can sometimes get a big wad of cash in my pocket. I have a couple of vices. My daughter owns a gun store in Missouri. So if I'm doing a program in Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, Illinois, I'm probably going to tack on a visit to uh, my daughter's. And I got a big wad of cash in my pocket. Um, I, I have just about every hunting caliber that I can justify by the things that I hunt. And so I have to start buying other types of weapons. I got this cash in my pocket. It's burning a hole. I got to get rid of it. I go to the gun store and I'll buy something. <laughs> All right. 
Farmers and ranchers, they get a little money in their pocket. Let's buy a new pickup. Let's put in a hydraulic chute. Let's do this. Let's do that. We have money. And that's part of what is making that red bar of non-feed costs go up. We're buying more overhead because for a change we have money in our pocket. All right. But this, this is the curse. The, the, the cost to carry a cow has dropped off just slightly. You know, we don't have 2019 numbers, but in 2016, 17, 18, those numbers came down just a little bit. Not near as much as what the revenue stream uh, dropped. And, you know, I, I do presentations in Canada, and I don't think I have a, the, the Canada chart in here. But something really interesting, uh, so the, the Canadian beef industry and cattle prices track very closely the American cattle cycle and prices. Now, Canada had one experience that we have not actually had in the U.S. that reshaped their industry. Anybody know what that was? Mad cow. Mad cow disease, BSE. Um, you know, we have had a few cases of BSE in the U.S., and we get a little market blip from it. BSE in Canada was a full-blown deal, and it dropped their market down for several years. And it became very, very tough to be in the cattle business in Canada. Those who survived got lean and mean. So in, yeah, it's not in here. Uh, so in Canada, they experienced the same rise in price that we did. Their cost of production barely, when they were in that peak price 2013, 2014 timeframe, their cost of production had barely changed from what it was before because those people had learned their lesson that tough times can come and stick with you for years. And so they cut out a whole lot of extra crap out of their business. And they're still, you know, hobby farmers and cows too big and they have plenty of issues up there. But the commercial cattlemen in Alberta, Saskatchewan, they're a pretty savvy bunch of characters now and they do not spend money that they don't have to. We, we have our cattle cycle here and we go into some lean times, but we have not had the retraining experience of cost discipline that the Canadian beef industry got. Okay, so I talked about what is the average cost for herds over 100. Uh, believe it or not, that Kansas data has far more cow herds that are fewer than 100 cows than over 100 cows. And that's why we can only take, I, I, I use the Kansas data because it illustrates that principle so graphically but I don't believe these are typical numbers of the industry. Uh, there's a lot of small uh, cow herds that are associated with grain farmers that go into this data set and they have artificially high costs. So this, uh, this chart here, Neville Spear, if anybody uh, follow Neville Spear or know that name? Okay, to me the best beef industry economist in the United States is Neville Spear. He's my go-to guy if I want 
uh, actual useful information, uh, Neville Spear, S-P-E-E-R. He, he used to be at Western Kentucky State University as an ag economist. He's in private business now. Um, I get a newsletter from him every week. He's regularly in Beef Magazine and I think um, Progressive Cattlemen and some of those. But if you want to understand fundamentals in the, the beef industry, why prices are where they are, what can we expect out here, how are Australian bushfires going to affect our market, Neville Spear is where I get most of my information. So this is uh, the, from 1987 through 2015, this is the production cost for herds with 100 cows or more. And so for actual serious ranching, I think these are more meaningful numbers to look at than what the Kansas is. But here we are, that whole 1987 through the 90s into the early 2000s, three to four hundred dollars to run a cow. Uh, then it starts going up. And this is not a rev in this graph, this is not the revenue line. That's the, the five-year average. It's the rolling average of cost of production. And so it's sh showing us the trend line. And so whereas that K-State stuff s showed peak costs in excess of $1,200, uh, here we see it you know, not quite getting to $900, uh, which is still a whole lot of money to have invested in raising a cow-calf pair if, because I, I did the math just a little bit ago based on where we are in the market right now that the average revenue per cow is about $800 or was last year or we had a nice, we're, as I say, I'm pretty sure we're coming out of the cattle cycle and we're going to be rising prices, um, but that is just too much money to operate a cow-calf operation to be consistently profitable. Yes? So, so what's the reason for the trending up? You're basically seeing the costs are increasing pretty radically over the last what, uh, 10 years or so. Okay, so what is it that's driving this cost increase? Mm -hmm. um, there, there's a number of factors. You know, most of our input costs uh, have still been trending upward. Fertilizer is one that's actually lower cost today than it was in this era here. Uh, diesel fuel is that today is actually lower than it is here. Farm labor continues to go up. Our living expenses continue to go up, so family draw, you know, is a factor there. But on the on the ground, on the ranch, um, the increasing cost of leasing a pasture is an important one. And again, crop farming, converting grasslands back to cropland is uh, part of the factor there. Uh, you know, increasing vet costs. You know, one segment of the world that never takes a price reduction is the pharmaceutical industry. Plus, they are always finding something else that we need to be administering to our livestock and runs up costs. Um, so th those are factors that come into play, but a whole lot of that stuff, I say, why do you need that? Why do you need that? Uh, the, the best, the top end outfits that I work with, you know where they are and their cost to carry? They are still right here. 
for $375 to $425 is what their cost to carry a cow is. And we, if we go back to that Wyoming, Nebraska, Dallas mount assessment, most of the top end outfits are not calving in the winter anymore. They have either drastically reduced or eliminated hay feeding and they're doing something else which we will get to uh, sometime this morning. <laughs> have patience. Oh, I do have the uh, Alberta numbers. So this, this is an express, isn't expressed as cost to carry a cow. It's their um, uh, cost, so the uh, uh, brown bars are their cost to produce a pound of wean calf. The gray bar is the price per pound. And this is what I'm talking about. Over this period of 2004, so BSE I think first came in 2002. Um, so this is from the post-BSE era up to 2015 and just a very slight gradual increase in their cost of production. Even though they experienced the same soaring prices that we did in 2014 and 2015, they did not let money in their pocket burn a hole. All right, so we can just kind of wait around for prices to get better. Now every 10 years, USDA makes a projection of what they think the 10-year horizon for those particular commodities are going to be. And they do this for like 200 different commodities. Uh, this, the uh, blue line here, this is beef cattle. And so this projection is from 2016 through 2026. So we get 2016, we were still on falling prices. And that doesn't look real optimistic, does it? Now, you know, liars figure, and figures don't lie, but liars figure, and all that sort of thing. You can find a piece of data to support whatever you want it to do, and all of that. I will also point out that in the 2006 to 2016 USDA projection, they absolutely never saw the 2013, 14, 15 price spike that we had then. Uh, so I take, take this for what it's worth. USDA isn't expecting anything wonderful to happen, so we better take care of ourselves and do that on the cost side of the equation and adding value to the products that we have rather than accepting the commodity price. So when we look at cost of production, some of you saw this yesterday, we talked about um, in my consulting business, what are the top four costs that I see among my clients and frequently winter feed is top of the list with as a component of winter feed, equipment ownership costs being the biggest chunk of that. And a lot of people don't recognize that. Then we have the equipment operation, fertilizer, and irrigation. But th those are components of winter feed and that is very often the highest line item cost. Land itself. Uh, Pasture lease rates, AUM rental rates, those have all been trending upward. The cost of land has certainly been trending upward, although, having said that, um, there's a whole lot of trophy ranches going on the market now. I get 
the Hall and Hall newsletter twice a week. And so I look at what ranch prices are doing. Now most of theirs are more trophy ranches rather than, you know, hardtack uh, working ranches. And the trend that I've noticed over the last six to eight months is a lot of discounting is starting to take place. And sometimes they're pretty big. And of course the, the most recent example of a big deal is the Boone Pickens Ranch in Texas got reduced from $255 million to $220 million. So, you know, you get a $35 million uh, discount if you want to go buy that place right now. But land costs money, whether you lease it or you own it. We have labor costs all across the U.S. I hear, you know, I just can't find someone to do this work. Can't find someone to do this work. Hope you're enjoying the presentation and we'll jump right back in, but I wanted to first remind you to visit the show notes for freebies, deals, and more. While you're there, don't forget to join our email family to stay up to date on all the current events. Now back to the show. It is, it is, it is tough to find a competent uh, ranch hand. It is tough to find a competent ranch manager. The good ones are in pretty good situations and uh, I don't try to poach managers from one of my clients for you know a new client or something uh, but I, I have people all the time asking me hey do you, you got anyone that you could send my way for as a manager over here um, and I have people who send me their resumes and say yeah they want to manage their ranch and I look at those resumes and there's not one in ten that I would forward to one of my clients. So it, it's a tough situation. This labor, and I don't see that really getting better. This To get a quality hand, quality manager, um, it's going to cost you money. And that keeps trending upward. So it says the top four costs, and I have one, two, and three what do you suppose that other cost that should be in that array is? It's on the piece of paper. It's on the piece of paper. What is it? Cow Some depreciation. Cow depreciation. Um, and we're probably turning out of that cow depreciation, but from about 2017 through 2019, cow depreciation replaced winter feed as being the highest cost of being in the cow business. So we're going to talk about cow depreciation because it is a huge piece of being in this business. And dairy cow depreciation, ewe depreciation are similar to this, but at the present time cow depreciation is a huge factor because of the big price spike that we had in uh, 2013, 14, 15. So what is it? It is a real cost and you have to account for it in the budget. Now, because it's, uh, we, we use usually depreciation, when we talk about equipment and facilities, depreciation, that is an overhead. Cow depreciation, I actually treat as an operating cost because it has to be paid for every year and the current calf crop is what has to pay for that depreciation factor. So what is it? Difference between purchase and salvage value spread over the calves the cow produces in her lifetime with interest charged. 
That is what the annual cow depreciation rate is. All right, so here's, you know, do you treat it as an overhead? Do you treat it as an operating cost? As I said, I treat it as an operating cost. If you know better than me and have, you know, budget built with it as an overhead, that's fine too, but it does have to be paid every year. All right, so here we go. And this says a 2003 example. I bought a cow for $1,000. Uh, she came up open, you know, a few to several years later, sell her as a call, $500. We subtract the salvage value from what I paid for it. The difference is $500. Can anybody explain to me how that is not a loss in my investment? I can't. I've never met anyone who could. So that cow, she had five calves in the time we owned her. So the charge was $100 plus the interest for the five years because, you know, if, 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 if you buy a bond, don't you expect to get return back on that? Who would ever buy a treasury bond that had 0% interest? Well, the, the U.S. government, maybe. I don't know. So at that time, our typical operating interest would have been out about 8%. So 8% interest over five years, the annual charge against that cow unit is $125. Something has to pay for that. It's a cost of doing business is cow depreciation. And this is why I treat it as an operating cost. It's a cost of being in the cow business and I incur it with every cow that I buy or every replacement that I raise. All right, let's come to 2013. I bought a cow for $2,500. I got a few calves out of her, sold her as a call for $800. $1,700 loss in value of that production unit. I have to recover that. So she had five calves, divide uh, $1,700 by five, that's $340 per calf. I have to charge interest. Well, we're down at 5% interest now, but that cost is $393 per calf. We have just figured out that, so 2013 plus five years would be about 2018. And in this 2018, 2019 timeframe, the total revenue per cow from calf sale, call cow sale, call bull sale has been running about $800 to $900. If it's $800, that is almost half of the total value of the calf just to cover cow depreciation. And you've seen some of those numbers that we're throwing around on, you know, feed costs, $250, $300. This is why cow depreciation right now is such a killer in the business. It is the biggest cost that's out there. And a lot of people don't even recognize it as being a cost, and they darn sure don't know how to figure it out. So here's some ideas. Uh, the greater the spread, the higher the annual depreciation charge is going to be. We just saw that in the old 2003 example. The spread was only, the loss was only 500 bucks. In the 2013 example, it was $1,700. So cow produces five calves. $100 annual charge, $1,000, it's $200. Uh, then we have this cow longevity. And I used to think that cow longevity 
was the way that you had to deal with cow depreciation. It is not. But the more calves cow produces, we have more units, more units of production over which to spread that depreciated value. And so the annual charge does become smaller, smaller, smaller until, uh, or with each additional calf that we have. To get it down to a manageable uh, level, we have to think in terms of, well, how many cows does a calf, or how many calves does a cow have to have to get this to where it's a cost less than $100? Well, if we use the 2013 example, a cow has to have 21 calves because we have to charge interest on that $1,700 value loss. There's not very many cows around that give you 21 calves. Uh, anybody know in the U.S., the typical beef cow, how many calves does she have in her first ownership? I'm not saying in her life, I'm saying in her first ownership. Three. Yep. So um, in the U.S., the average calf crop, so this is live calves coming to the weaning pen per cow exposed the previous year. In the U.S., that average number typically runs between 78 and 82 percent. Three calves. The average cow that we are incurring depreciation on only gives us three calves for which to pay that. We forget about all the two-year-olds that didn't rebreed. We forget about the four-year-old who was a real witch and we, you know, got rid of her and then we got some bad feet, some bad eyes. We got open cows. And it is shocking to most people to realize that that's all we do. Now, I said that the, a the average in retention rate in the U.S. for cows is 78 to 82% annually. The northern plains, so the Dakotas, Nebraska, eastern Montana, Wyoming, that is the region of the U.S. that has the best performance numbers when it comes to getting cows bred, keeping them healthy, retaining them in the herd. And up there it runs in the high 80s. The southeastern states, Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, those states have the lowest performance rates in the country. And they're typically in the high 60s to around low 70s, 68 to 72 percent. And say, well, why is that? Are, are, are you southern boys just really that lousy of cattle managers? That's not what it is. You go to the northern plains, and there's a lot of cool season forages up there, a lot of cool season grasses. And cool season grasses have higher protein content retain their nutritive value into maturity much better than warm season grasses do. And it is cooler temperature. And English and continental cattle are way better adapted to cold temperature than they are hot temperatures. So it's a wonderful cattle environment up there and we have good feed. We come to the southeastern states and we have a whole lot of subtropical and tropical warm season grasses that are lower in protein and they deteriorate in feed quality with maturity much, much more quickly than do cool season forages. So this, and then we take the heat and humidity stress. If you have uh, Bozendicus cattle, Brahmin influence cattle in the south, 
you can do much better than if you have black-hided black Angus cattle in the Deep South, but where's the price at the sale barn? It's with the black cattle. So you endure um, their lack of heat adaptation and more open cows and all of those things because they're not animals adapted to that environment. So we can't say that the cattlemen in one part of the country are necessarily better than cattlemen in the other part of the country. It is the working environment and the type of cattle that you know, people choose to work with in, in the, the high stress environments. But that's the reality of where the industry is in the country. So on the Northern Plains, uh, by the way, on the Northern Plains, the average is closer to five calves per cow. All right, so uh, I said I thought cow longevity was the way you dealt with the depreciation, but we're, we've seen that cow longevity is not something we can always rely on. And so the view that I have now, and this is what Bud Williams would have talked about, and then Wally Olson is teaching you know, this type of management now. It, it's, it's managing inventory value. And so this uh, graph here is looking at the relative value of bred females based on age. And I, I just met, I'm trying to remember who it was, but somewhere in the last few months, uh, I met the guy who actually did this, this was his PhD the thesis work, and you know, I was showing at a meeting, and you know, he came and told me, you know that's uh, my PhD thesis, don't you? I said, no, I didn't know that, but thanks for doing it. Um, so the index value that we start with is a first calf heifer. She has a value of 100. She has a calf, she gets bred back for her second calf, she actually increases in value, and cows will reach their peak value at three and four years of age. At five, they begin to decline, and then the rapid, but they, they, at some point, they go back to the same value they were as that first calf heifer. The long drop in the, the depreciation drop in the value of the cow is from, um, basically six years of age to 10 years of age. If a cow is over 10 years old, she's got a tooth in her head, calf in her belly, she's got value. And so the price does not fall off a whole lot when you get past 10 years. So the idea of managing cow depreciation through inventory value is what they call a five and out program. And in a five and out program, if you are raising your own heifers, you basically keep every heifer an exposure to the bull. Now you might call off five to ten percent, you know, just knot heads and you just, now nah, she'll never be a cow. But you would keep uh, most of the heifers, expose them to the bull typically for 30 days and any heifer that gets bred in those first 30 days, that's going to be the more naturally fertile heifer. Those are the kind of animals you want in your herd. Anything that doesn't get bred, they just get you know, sold, either sold as a feeder heifer, go to the feedlot, or for a lot of people, that is the starting point of the grass-fed beef program because it's easier to finish a heifer than it is to finish a steer. No offense, ladies, but women just fatten easier than men do. And that is absolutely true in the cattle industry 
And if you don't have the complete skill set for creating premium quality grass-fed beef with a steer, well, start with a heifer because it's going to be easier to do. They're going to finish at a lighter weight and they're going to fatten sooner. So uh, in a five and out program, you sell all of your bred cows at five years of age because your neighbors, what are they looking for? I want to buy a proven cow. And they still have a value basically equal to what you started from. And if you sell them to somebody else as a bred cow at five years old, you're going to get a good price on them. That other person is going to take the depreciation hit on it. And if you want, some of the people who do five and outs, that's all they do. They just turn over cows real fast. Some of them buy back cows at 10 plus years of age because we know that they, and you might just keep that cow for one year, two years, something like that. They're what we call turnaround cows. Um, you, you buy them bred or with calf at side and you just run them that one season. They are a great tool to bring in as an extra animal to eat up excess, you know, spring and early summer growth, split the pairs in August, sell a real light calf for high dollars and a bred female for whatever she'll bring at that time. Um, it's, it's, you can get a bad reputation, God, he's just a cow trader. You know what, there's a whole lot of successful ranchers in this country that were built by cow traders, either doing the turnaround cow like that or buying thin, open call cows, fattening them on pasture for 60 to 90 days, sell them at a higher price than they paid for them. And it's bad for your reputation, but it sure is profitable. Hope you enjoyed this presentation. Well, check out the episode notes and always remember the advice from cows and be outstanding in your field. See you next time.